Hey, we're continuing on in our study of Colossians this morning. Colossians. And uh, we've looked at a couple points so far. We've looked at seek the heavenly in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. We looked at resist the earthly, Colossians 3, 5 through 9. And this morning we're going to look at strengthen the godly. Strengthen the godly in verse 10 and 11. So Colossians 3, 10 and 11. And almost half of the workforce today say that they're tired most of the week. And people these days, they're generally exhausted. I mean, have you ever been exhausted? Even after a good night's rest, you're just tired. And you get frustrated because you had a good night's sleep the night before. Like, so you, you should be energetic, ready to go. You had your coffee, let's go. But there's nothing there. There's no energy within to pull from. So people these days, they're tired because of a variety of reasons. Uh, there have been numerous studies done on millennials, and I promise I'm not trying to pick on millennials, but I just found, stumbled upon these studies. Millennials are age 22 to about 37, uh, but their connection with exhaustion. One of the reasons for exhaustion is technology, and I'm not going to lecture anyone, I'm just saying the study said technology, being in front of the screen from morning until night results in exhaustion. Being inundated with a lot of bad news and information constantly, you know, gives no rest. And millennials have a culture of hustling because they have to in order to survive. Uh, money worries exhaust them as well. Poor coping behaviors and stress also contribute to exhaustion and fatigue. We all get tired and we need strength oftentimes just to get through the day, maybe just to get through the next hour. And we take a look at these verses today, we're going to see that God strengthens the godly. And aren't you glad? I'm so thankful that we can draw strength from God who is the source of strength. D.L. Moody said, when a person has no strength and they lean upon God, they become powerful. God dependence, depending on God, it leads to the inundation of God's strength in our lives. And we get to feed off and pull from God's strength, which is a heavenly and a supernatural strength. And you know how it is. You're, just, you're tired, and so you seek the Lord and ask him for strength because you're at your end. You cannot muster up any strength because you have no earthly strength left. But you and I know that there's a heavenly strength straight from God that he gives you and I, and it causes us to be lifted up. And I can't tell you how many times I've been at my end just exhausted. I cried out to God for strength, and he comes through. Every time he comes through. Listen to this verse. This verse is so good. Isaiah 41.10. God really makes it clear. In Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So it's, he says, don't fear, don't be dismayed. You know, I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to uphold you. And it's like, wow. And so as we're weak, we need to call out to God for strength because does he ever let his kids down? Absolutely not. Now you may get just enough strength to get through that time that you need to get through, but the important thing to know is that God gives strength enough for you and I to get through. And when I first started working at my current job, uh, our workload had everything to do with the weather. And you guys from the Deep South, from Mobile, know how the weather is, right? You, you just, you never know. Hurricane Harvey and Irma happened, and I got the job, and almost immediately I started working 75 to 80 hours a week. And you think, wow, that's a lot. Some of you work more than that. I talked to you. Some of you work more than that. But as I was working at it, trying to get through, I was leaning upon the Lord for strength, because I went from not working at all 
to just like all of a sudden, okay, 75, 80 hours a week, let's go. And so I prayed like crazy. And my wife did too, because she was a, a, a mom and she never had any relief because I was always gone. But, but the Lord's strength is made perfect in our weakness, which is something that Paul noted. For Paul had to fully depend on God's strength as he was going through, remember, his painful times. The Lord strengthens the godly. And the opposite of feeding off of God's strength is striving, which is the opposite. It has the opposite effect. Striving and attempting to do it all yourself will leave a person weary, tired, and just frustrated. The Christian life is a life of surrender, not a life of striving. Right? Yes, we're, we're proactive, right? but we yield first to God, and then we are set to work for Him, progressing as He works on us, thankfully. We seek Him. He equips us with all we need to get through all that He places before us. So as we're studying and looking at the Scriptures, remember, we are alive in Christ, Therefore, we are to seek the things above, and because we died with Christ, we must put off the things that belong to the earthly life, resisting our past and habitual sinning ways, and the result is becoming more like Christ. He's our example of, of what kind of heart to have, how to deal with the lost, how to live and interact with others, what to do when your enemies come against you. On and on, he is the example for the believers of how to act and react. But the fact is that God wants to renew us and make us into the image of his son. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the uh, verses this morning. Well, again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We do pray that you would just speak to each one of us here this morning, meet us exactly where we're at, and we know that you're so faithful to do that. We just pray that, Lord, uh, whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, whether it's on on the mountaintop or in the valley, Lord, in the desert or on the sandy beach, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts, meet us where we're at, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we're going to start at verse 9 in Colossians 3, 9. It says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man and his deeds, and have put on the new man who is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So I wanted to include verse 9, even though we went over last week, because we, we want to see the contrast. Right? There's a contrast here. The Greek verb translated put off and put on there are, are indicative of a once and for all action. Like we talked about, we put off the old life and then we walk in the newness of life. It's like I had a friend who loves new socks. Does anyone love new socks? Like, okay, we got one in here. Um, there's one in every crowd. No, I don't know. Um, but he loves new socks. And so after a couple months, he's just like, the socks are worn out. Now, I keep my socks for like a year or two, but I'm just saying like, don't be grossed out. But I wash them. Uh, but, um, but this guy, he just, every couple months, he bought new Costco socks, right? The pack of six, you know, the really thick white ones, you know, for work. And every time he's just like, oh, you put them on. It was like, it was just so refreshing to him to get these new socks. And he loved them. Um, but maybe you can relate when you buy new stuff. You need, you need to buy new toothbrushes, you know? I remember one time, <laughs> I'm, I'm really grossing out about myself today, but one time at a, a, like a, a pastor retreat, uh, I, my fellow pastors were in my room, and, and my brother-in-law, who's a pastor, he's like, dude, what's wrong with your toothbrush? It was like, you know, the, uh, the, the vibrating one, but there was like some 
mold stuff like on but it wasn't on the tip it was like on the base of it I'm like I just I guess I need to wash it but but you know how it is you get like a new toothbrush you, you use it and it's like refreshing you know it feels good to, to brush with a new toothbrush but when it comes to our lives it's it's not like God changes our whole personality because he created us and he loves who he created but what he does do is refine our lives in a way that would ultimately glorify himself You know, the old man has been buried, and the new man is now in control. And in verse 10, the word renew, it's a present participle, which the word means who is constantly being renewed. Our walks with God don't start and stop with just the salvation prayer. What I mean is is first there's salvation, right? And then there's sanctification. We can't leave out the second part. It's not like, I'm saved, now whatever. You know, we're not saved, you know, it's first a prayer, then it's a process. Prayer, then a process. The whole, I said a prayer once for fire insurance, and now I don't have to do anything anymore, is antithetical to the truth that's in the Bible, right? It's not a one prayer, now I don't care kind of thing, right? It's a prayer as we repent and trust in Christ, and then it's a process of of working for the Lord and Him working on us. Faith without works is what? dead yeah so we're we aren't called to have a passive inactive faith we're called to have a proactive faith that alive that's alive and that thrives it's like you get a job you don't want to just be mediocre and be like i don't need to learn anything else i'm good like you want to learn and grow with a company sometimes they have a whole training period of time where you can learn and grow and get to know what the heck you're supposed to do so you can do well at your job right you're not you're not automatically amazing at it Well, we pray to the Lord, and then it's a process of the Lord working on our hearts and our lives for the rest of time here on this earth until we're in eternity with Him. And what's interesting is that the Greeks, they had two different words for the word new. The word neos, N-E-O-S, means new in time. We use this word in English when we say things like neo-orthodoxy. Then there's the word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, which means new in quality or fresh. So neos and kainos. And sometimes these words are used interchangeably, but the definitions are different. So the believer has once and for all put on the new man, which is neos. And as a result, he or she is being renewed constantly, which is kainos. So there's a change in quality as the person is becoming more like Christ. And so God is so faithful to work on our lives and work with us as we navigate through this life. He gives us new desires. He redirects us when we stray. He refines and chips away those rough edges. It's amazing. So how, did this, how does this renewal come about? Well, Paul says, through knowledge. Knowledge was one of the key words in the vocabulary of the Gnostics. Remember, the title Gnostic actually means knowing or to know. And Paul was writing to warn the believers about the Gnostics. But knowledge alone, by itself, will not change a person's life to make them more like Christ. It is a starting point, though. The better the believer gets to know Christ, the more they become like him. So the whole point of this life as a believer is to grow and to flourish and to thrive and to draw near to our Creator. And I love how Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So what does it mean that man, which means humankind, was created in God's image? Well, this involves a person's personality, which includes the intellect, the emotion, and the will. 
and it involves a person's spirituality, meaning the person is more than just a body. Right? When, when man sinned, the image of God was actually marred. It was ruined. Right? Adam's children were born in the image of their father. So in spite of the ravages of sin, man still bears the image of God. We were formed in God's image, right, and then deformed from God's image by sin. Sin takes what is beautiful and messes it up. And so the good news is that we can be transformed into God's image. And so we must be renewed by the spirit of our minds, Ephesians 4.23 uh, 4 tells us. So as we grow in the knowledge of the word of God, we're transformed by the spirit of God, and we get to share in the amazing image of God. And Romans 12.2, it actually makes it clear that God transforms us by the renewing of our minds, which involves the study of the truth, God's word. It is the truth that sets us free from the old life. And I love John 8, 31 and 32, which says, if you abide, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so the basis of truth, the blueprint for our lives, the litmus test to live by, the basis for our belief, the foundation of our faith is God's word right here, God's perfect word. Do I sound like a broken record? Absolutely. But we need to be reminded every day that we live by the truth, the very truth that set us free and set us on the path of living out God's purposes for us. And here's a stark reality. Romans 8.29 confirms that God's purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. And so this refers to our character and spiritual quality and our inward man. So when we see Christ, we will be like him in our glorified bodies. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. While we are awaiting his return, we can become like him and share in his holy image. And so this is the process of constant renewing, which happens when we're constantly in the word of God. And it's important to note that the human differences and distinctions should not be a barrier for holy living in the church. Yes, we are all different and uniquely made. Some of you guys are like, hallelujah, you know, but any forensic expert will tell you even identical uh, twins, they do not have matching fingerprints, nor will they have the exact same personality traits. In Christ, all human distinctions disappear. There is no one that comes to the Lord to be saved who God will turn away no matter where they're from or what they've done or who they are. Colossians 3.11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So in Christ there are no nationalities, neither Jew nor Greek. There is no recognition of former religious differences either. The Gnostics taught that circumcision was important to the spiritual life, but Paul made it clear that this traditional act of physical surgery gave no advantage in the spiritual life. There is no cultural differences in Christ. He says barbarian, Scythian. So the Greeks considered all non-Greeks to be barbarians, and Scythians were the lowest barbarians of them all. That's what they believed. But in Christ, a person's cultural status is no advantage or disadvantage. 
nor is there any economic or political status. He says bond or free. You know, Paul made it clear that a slave should try to get their freedom, but they should not think they are handicapped spiritually because of their social position or lack of. All of the human distinctions belong to the old man and not the new man. And in his letter to the Galatians, Paul added, there is neither male nor female. And therefore, he erased the status between males and females. Paul's conclusion was simple and straightforward. Christ is all and in all. And this goes back to Colossians 3, 2, which is where, where do we set our minds? Well, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Galatians 3.28 tells us we are all one in Christ. It's wrong to build fellowship of the church on anything other than Jesus Christ and his work. Ministries that are built on human distinctions are not biblical. The Gnostics had so-called super saints who were attempting to isolate the Colossian believers from the rest of the church, which was wrong. When we become Christian, we don't lose our national heritage. Of course not. But we do not use that heritage as a test of what is and isn't spiritual. So the whole emphasis of this letter is that Christ is all and in all. That in, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Because we're complete in Christ. We can look beyond our earthly differences and enjoy spiritual unity in the Lord. You ever met another Christian? You're like, we've got nothing in common except the Lord. So we're super connected. <laughs> like I'm more connected with you than someone who doesn't know the Lord. And I have tons in common with because... What you have in common is the Lord, and I'm so happy that my wife and I have the Lord in common. We're super different. We are very different, but we complement each other. When it comes to the Lord, we're united. We have the same mind. We're connected, and this is the most important connection that you have in this life. And that's why only one time I would not uh, officiate a couple's wedding. Only one time. Because one of the, the, the girl, uh, the lady was a, a, a believer, strong believer, prayer warrior, and the, the guy was an atheist. And so I tried, I, I met with him once to be like, okay, let's go, we can, we can try to go through this book, which is completely biblical about marriage, you know? And he's like, yeah, can we do this, but like take all the God stuff out? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's the whole point of this. If I take that out, I'm not going to say anything, right? So I, I wouldn't because was, was they were unequally yoked. Because your biggest connection is Christ in the relationship. It's like when my wife, you know, when she asked me out to go miniature golfing, and we were standing in line for the go-karts. Um, she, she was like, you know, I, I want a husband that just like, puts Jesus first, you know? She just told me straight out right in the beginning. I'm like, whoa, okay. And she started telling me what, did, what she wanted in a husband and everything. I'm like, well, which was really cool because I was like, good. I'm going to put Jesus before my wife too <laughs> because he's who impo he's important. Not that the person's any less important, but our commonality is Christ. That's how we're united. Everything else is secondary. And so we're the family of God, right? We are connected to the Lord. We're connected to one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's amazing. And I love it. And even my last church, it was like the United Nations. There was every tribe and tongue. I was, you know, I was the, the minority. It was just like, it was awesome. We would go to, uh, to camping trips or, or beach trips or whatever. And um, people would look at us like, what is that group? Because all the groups kind of like look the same you know, and listen to the same music and all this stuff, and it's like, they dress the same and all that, to so talk the same, but then we came, you know, like 30, 40, 40 deep, and we're just like, we, we set up our stuff, and we're all different colors, just listening to worship, and we're all di from different places and different walks of life, and it's like, how, what in the world drew all those people together? It was the Lord. It was the Lord, and I loved it. We're alive in Christ, 
Therefore, we should seek the heavenly and focus on the heavenly. The distinctions, the worldly, earthly distinctions disappear, if you will, and we're just focused on the one thing that matters in this life, and that's God. We're alive in Christ. Therefore, we should seek the heavenly. We're dead in Christ. Therefore, we should resist the earthly. Don't go back to the trash that you left behind. Don't go back to the sin that you used to engage in. Don't go back and go, you know, you don't throw, you know, you don't throw like an old burrito that's rotten back here and go, you know what? I kind of want another bite of that. That's, that was good. It's not going to be good anymore. It's going to be nasty. You're going to get sick and throw up. So, you know what I'm saying? That's just like, you don't want to go back to the old life because sometimes we romanticize how it used to be. And we're like, but I remember it. it felt good. Like there was a lot of laughs. Oh, look at this picture. I would look like I was having fun. And you forget all the bad stuff that happened because of it, right? And so then you go back to it expecting things to be different and you get right back into that same pit that you were in before and you're like, this is horrible. Why did I do this? We're dead in Christ. Therefore, we should resist the earthly. Leave your past behind. And we can become like Christ. Therefore, we must be strengthened and permit the Spirit to renew our minds, making us more into the image of God. So, there were, all the, uh, these were all, there were all these barriers, you know, in the ancient Roman world. There were all these barriers to people, like you guys over here. They're just separate in different groups, right? And the power of God, through the gospel of Christ, broke all those barriers down. It broke them all down. Especially powerful was a barrier between slave and free. One commentator said, In times of persecution, slaves showed that they could face the trial and suffer for their faith as courageously as freeborn Romans. The slave girl Blandina and her companion both suffered in the persecution which broke out against the churches of the Rhone Valley in AD 177, but it was a slave girl who was the hero of the persecution, impressing friend and foe alike as a noble athlete in the contest of martyrdom. In the arena of Carthage in AD 202, a profound impression was made on the spectators when the Roman matron Perpetua stood hand in hand with the slave uh, Philetus as both women faced a common death for a common faith. We are one in Christ, in the body of Christ. And the picture there is that we are all different, but we are all important parts of the body of Christ, which act as a unit to glorify God. We all work together. We're in this fight of faith together. Strengthen the godly. Our strength comes from the Lord and working together to further the kingdom of God. If you will, will we are kingdom collaborators. And I'm so thankful to collaborate with this little body of Christ, you know. And so is Orson. He's like, yeah. And we're excited just to get together and be kingdom collaborators to further God's kingdom because that's what this life is about. And this is why unity is the key to gaining strength because we're linked together in the Lord, right? We're stronger together, we are. So seek the heavenly, resist the earthly, and strengthen the godly, amen?